listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. Listen, I'm glad you're here this morning. I believe God has a word for you this morning. And um, I believe that your lives are going to be changed today. And so I pray that you'll lean into that. Um, worship this morning was just incredible. I mean, even I'm back here. I was like, I'm missing beats because I'm over here trying to worship Jesus. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, um, continue to press in during the week. There's nothing like having an at-home worship service with you and Jesus. Amen? So be sure you're leaning in on your relationship with the Lord. Um, we are uh, at the last week of a series called Father. Now, this series is all about helping you have a better understanding of who the Father is. Um, a lot of us have negative views of God because we've had negative views of earthly and spiritual fathers in our lives. We may not have had the best father in our lives. We may not, may not have had the best examples in our lives. And you know, Satan has been working from the moment the, the apple was bitten to make sure that you don't see the father for who he really is. He is, he is bent on standing in between you and your father in heaven so that you, do never, you, so that you never get a true glimpse of him. So you never understand what his heart really is for you. And while the devil has been working all that time, I want you to know something else. God's been working all that time too, y'all. The entirety of human history, God has been working to make sure that you're restored to him. Now, once, once God made the earth and, and he rested on the seventh day, I had the mindset he just kind of like took a break, man. It was just like he was sitting doing anything. And, and really the Holy Spirit and Jesus were the two during the work. So like the Holy Spirit was the power of God living inside of us. It's the, 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 uh, the Second Peter 1 and 3 talks about that divine power that God gives us to live the life he's called us to live. Like that's what it's about. Or making sure that I remember that I'm a son or a daughter and making sure that I'm empowered to do what he's called me to do. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing, right? Oh, yeah. And he also says, hey, hey, don't do that, Jason, whenever I'm about to mess up. But then Jesus, man, come on, the great Redeemer, Savior of the world, Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world, the one that takes my sin, took my place, makes me the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. Come on, man, Jesus is doing his thing. And he's ever interceding before the Father for me right now. Jesus is praying for me right now. It's enough to have Jesus and the Holy Spirit working on your behalf to restore you to the Father. But God the Father is actively engaged in working as well. You have the entirety of the Godhead working to get you restored. What that tells me is I don't care what the devil has to throw at me. If God wants me a son, I'm going to step into sonship. And if God wants you a son or daughter, you're going to step into that sonship. Amen? Come on. we got to embrace that. But this series is about you seeing who God is as your Father. And a lot of times because of our negative experiences, either from a, 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 a church like a spiritual father or especially our family of origin with our natural father, we have a hard time seeing God for who he really is. And today I want to share with you a story preaching out of Luke chapter 15. It's a story that we've heard before. If you've been in church for even a minute, you probably heard the story of the prodigal son. And so what, what, we, what we're going to do is we're going to take some things out of this. I'm typically a little bit more topical and have points and stuff like that. But today what I like to do is, is just kind of go line by line for, for a little bit. And I'm going to give you some action steps at the bottom to kind of help us understand what really is going on when it comes to God wanting us to see him as a father. Here's what the Bible says, Luke 15, 11 through 32. And he, Jesus, said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the young son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. 
And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. You understand how bad that is, right? We're talking about a Jewish guy over here going to eat to, to feed some pigs. Okay, this is, this is the worst thing you could do. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. No one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hard servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hard servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, come on, church, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. Can I tell you something? This is what the father is. And this is how the father thinks of you. And I got to tell you something that's kind of frustrated me about the local church is that we haven't had the father's heart when it comes to people's sin. I'm in the middle right now of writing a book, and my working title is called The Entitled Son, and it's all about not the prodigal and not the father, but it's about the son that, was, that stayed. The son that stayed and was more concerned with why his dad was forgiving him than welcoming, welcoming him back to the house like his dad did. When we get more concerned with the why than the welcome, what it does is it makes us legalistic towards sin, and it makes us callous and aggressive and abrasive towards people who sin. Rather than embracing them and saying, come on back home. Notice he didn't get cleaned up before he got the robe on. Notice, notice that there wasn't a bath first and let's get the pig smell off of you, boy. You smell like the road, you smell like the outside, and I'm not going to have you messing up my nice pretty robe. No, he said, get the robe, get the shoes, get the ring. We'll deal with the cleaning you up later. And if you're here right now and you are scared to death about what God's going to think of you, if you step into this building, my goodness, he might strike me down with lightning if I come in here with the sins I've done. I want you to know something. God ain't worried about the mess on you or in you or through you. He wants to get you wrapped up in his robe and he'll deal with the sin later. We've got to get to a place where as a body of Christ, as sons that never left the house, that we don't be guilty of the same sin the prodigal committed that we think we can do it better than our daddy can. We got to be careful that we embrace and welcome people in, but they don't live like I do. Okay, where else are they going to get help? They're going to find it at Walmart? Hmm, sin relief. Hmm. Uh, Equate, or do I get the name brand? No, you... We've got to bring people and we've got to do what the father did. But before we can do what the father did, you know what we got to do? We've got to understand one thing, that if we don't see the father for who he is, we will never be able to portray who the father is to other people. So what is your expectation of how God is going to respond to you in various situations? What is your expectation? That's a tough question to answer because the answers are 100% subjective to your experiences to your raising, to how you perceive not only God, but how you perceive authority in general, to how you see yourself. How about this, how you see your value? Let me ask another question. What is your expectation on how, good, how God would respond to you in the prodigal situation? 
Let's say you were the prodigal. How do you expect God's going to respond to you? Let's look at how the prodigal thought for just a second. Let's read those verses again. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, and I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So let's take just a moment and break this down. Let's hit this one verse right here. How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? You see, the son knew his dad had plenty. He's got enough. He's got enough to fill me. He knew that he had enough and that even the help had food. So whether or not the father was kind and generous was immaterial. He knew that at the very least, his daddy would provide food whether he was a son or not. He provided food for the sons and food for the servants. At least I can get fed there. How did the son see himself? You see, he had already believed he'd lost his sonship because of what he'd done. So his angle was to approach God as a hireling, not his family. Can you relate to that when you mess up? Do you ever ever mess up and you feel like, boy, I've blown it. There goes my sonship. There goes my daughterhood. It's over with, man. And so what you do is you come to God and you start making deals. You start wheeling and dealing with the king of the universe. Here's what the Bible says in the next verse. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. He says, I'm going to go to my father. The prodigal assumed that his role had changed, but he knew that his father's role hadn't changed. His dad was still his dad. The father's identity was not wrapped up in his son. He was still the father in spite of the son's prodigality, in spite of his actions. The son... Knew he had changed, but he realized that the father didn't. So then what was the assumed meaning? The prodigal assumed his dad's role would change based on his actions. What if I told you this, that God's role as a father doesn't diminish because of your prodigal actions, but rather God's role as a father intensifies in spite of your prodigal actions. You see, Romans 1 tells us that at some point that God will turn us over to a debased mind. So let's talk about what that means for just a second. Um, if you steal something, the first time you steal something, you're so paranoid that you're scared of yourself. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it, it, hey, what you doing? Ah! You know, like you put it back. I wouldn't do nothing. But after the 150th time you've stolen something, you don't feel that anymore. You're not scared anymore. In fact, you get a little cocky, don't you? I'm not stealing bubblegum no more. I'm finna steal a Kit Kat. Like, you know, I mean, you're like, you, you up in your game. You, you stop feeling the conviction, don't you? Yeah. This, is, this is God saying, he's not, listen, God's not being mean. Here's what he's doing. He's giving you exactly what you want. Because if you're going to continue to walk in intentional sin, how can you expect God's blessing? Amen. And so what God will do is God will say, you know what? Look, I'm going I'm to let you do this. I'm going to let you have what you want. I'm here when, when you want to come back. But right now, I'm going to let you have what you want. Notice that the father didn't chase after the prodigal begging him to stay home. So God will let you turn around and walk off. All right. But his response to your prodigality is not to leave you, but rather to embrace you more intensely. So prove it. Okay. If if this is this statement is true that his role intensifies, prove it. Well, the Bible says in Romans 2, 4, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Guys, it's his kindness, not his anger and judgment. Like, get that in your brain. 
Because I know this much, whenever my kids come to me, you know, I'm still working on this because I'm far from perfect. I know y'all think I am. God bless you. But I'm far from perfect. And a lot of times my initial reaction to my kids doing something wrong is anger. Yeah. And you know what? Every time I do that, I'm teaching my kids that God is an angry God. I'm going to glass house with y'all real quick. I ain't got nothing to hide from y'all. That's just the truth in my own life. And, and I know sometimes in my life, it's because of the orphanhood that happened in my life for all those years uh, and, and, and it's because I always saw God as angry. But that's not who He is. First Peter 4.8 Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Hey, y'all, where do y'all think we got that idea from? It's because there is one, your Heavenly Father, who loved you so much that it covered all of your sins. If you see God removing himself from relationship with you based on your sin, then you really need to understand two very important Christian doctrines. Number one, sin does separate us from God. The Bible says in Isaiah 59 and 2, your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. So yes, sin does separate. But number two, Jesus restores us to God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? Sometimes Christianese can get so crazy. What does that mean? That means that Jesus Christ didn't take on your sin, he became your sin. He didn't just bear it on his shoulders, he was it. And he took all of the, the anger it's like I've heard before of people like, like, for instance, I've heard a story one time of two brothers, an older one and a younger one, and they had an abusive dad. And the older son would always try to get the dad's attention so the younger son could get away. Jesus did that for you. He, he took the sin. He took the pain. He became what you should have become. He did what you should have done. Now, listen, this isn't a license to sin. Paul says, we got this grace, let's go sin it, baby. No, don't do that. That's not what it's about. But because of Jesus, we're redeemed in spite of our sin, therefore we're reunited with the Father. So let me tell you right now, if you've made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, and I'm not talking about walking down the aisle at the youth camp and signing a little card and feeling kind of crazy for a few days, and, and then you keep living the life that you're living. But if you've said, yeah, he's Lord, you've given him everything, and you're in the process of sanctification, you genuinely have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what that means is this, you are being restored to the Father. If you still have a hard time with that, just consider the fact that while you were drowning in sin that separates you from the Father, your Father sent Jesus to get you back. It's clear evidence of how He really feels about you. The Bible says in this verse, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hard servants. You know, we talked before about the Father's heart. He, he, he didn't abandon you in your sin. Uh, but sin does have some negative effects. We talked about the separation. Another is death. And potentially that's physical, but it's definitely spiritual death. Emotional, uh, spiritual. Uh, it could be mental. It could be even death to some purpose that God had intended for you. Um, it, it could be that. But there's one more big one, and that's identity. You see, while the Father in this story never changed, how the Son saw the Father did change. His sin made him see his father no longer as a dad, but as a judge. Sin stripped the relationship from the son and clothed him in the law. Come on, man, look at that. Sin stripped him of a relationship and clothed him in the law. And what's the first thing the dad did when he got back? Is he stripped away the law and clothed him in grace. 
Don't you want that? Let me tell you something. That's what he's offering. That's what we're offering here today. We're not offering just some, well, you know, make you feel good for a little bit and you know, go to burrito and get heartburn and then go right back to feeling how you were feeling before. No, that's not what we're offering. We're offering you an opportunity to abandon the shame and guilt that you walked in with so you can live the life he's called you to live. The law is simply too brutal without relationship. The law can't restore. It can only identify sin. And sin caused the son to replace the relationship with the law. And in his place, he took the family out and put a business transaction in. And too many times we come to God not as family, but as a business transaction. We need to stop that. But here's the thing. We can't be too hard on the prodigal. Like, we're always hard on Jonah. We're always hard on Judas. Sometimes we're hard on Peter because, y'all, Peter kind of says some dumb stuff. You know what I'm saying? But, like, let's not be too hard on the prodigal because we can easily see ourselves in, in, in what he was doing. See, we, we sin and then we immediately go into law mode. We calculate potential punishments. We make deals with God. We say, I'll trade you my sonship for servanthood. But when we do this, we abandon the very thing God wanted, us, wanted from us in the beginning. And we have to go all the way to Genesis to figure that out. What does it say in Genesis 2.25? And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Now, wait a minute, what? Like, how do I, that's a, kind of a detour. Let me explain. Number one, for one thing, if you read that verse out of context, you're like, what's going on here? But here's what we mean. Here's what we mean. No shame. No shame because there was no sin. No shame because, because the, you know, the prodigal was ashamed of what he had done. And so when he came to the father, he came to him loaded down with shame. And whenever we sin, we feel shame because that's what the enemy's really, really good at is making you feel shameful anytime you mess up. His, his interaction with his father was rooted in shame, not in sonship. And we do this often. We really do this a lot. What about naked? We're not just talking about not having clothes here. Adam and Eve had no reason to defend themselves. Think for just a second beyond physical clothing. They were naked before the Lord. They, they, were, there was, they were fully exposed before the Lord. Nothing to hide. Their hearts wide open. Clothes weren't needed to cover shame. There was none. They didn't need protection from the environment. Why? Because there was nothing to hide. Interestingly enough, the moment that they realized what was going on, the Bible says they clothed themselves because they felt what? Ashamed. So if you feel shame right now, it's indicative of the fact that you are not completely exposed to your father. That can be fixed. That can be remedied. Our sin creates in us the very opposite of what we see in Eden. God wanted nothing between us, nothing to separate us, nothing to make us question motives and intents, nothing to hide, nothing to be ashamed of. And let me let you in on a big secret. He still thinks this and he still wants this for you. Well, let me prove it. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. If God was really done with you because of your sin, then why would he offer you Jesus? The church has been very quick to teach judgment because it never wanted to seem soft on sin. And look, we're not okay with sin. Okay, We're not okay with sin. Uh, but the way the Father deals with sin is not by creating more separation. He deals with it by bringing us in closer. So I really just in my spirit, I need somebody to hear that right now. 
that you're terrified to approach God because of what you've done. And I want you to understand that what God's intention with you right now is not to crucify you because of what you've done, you've done but to simply bring you in closer to Him. Because the closer you get to the Father's heart, the more forgiveness you feel and the more grace you experience and the more mercy that flows into you. That's what He wants. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. God will let you walk away alone, but he'll run to meet you on the road home. The prodigal goes into this long speech trying to sell his deal to his dad. And the father just ignores the son's speech. It's awesome. Like, I love that he didn't even give it a thought. Why? It's because your repentance speaks louder to the father than your sorry does. And God saw his repentance long before he heard his sorry. God sees repentance. The son had his apology all worked out, but his dad ignores it and literally addresses the very people his son is trying to become. You see, his father wouldn't let the prodigal trade his sonship for servanthood. He won't let you do it either. So what does the father say? He says in Luke 15, 22 through 24, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is what you need to see today. Um, I don't know what expectation you've had of the father, especially in light of the sin that you may be experiencing. Maybe, maybe you don't know how he is going to respond to the wandering that you're doing, but there is a reason why Jesus told this story in this specific spot. You see, he just finished telling the story about the wedding feast and how some were invited to the feast, but they were making up these ridiculous excuses as to why they're not going to go to the feast. And so then it's like, okay, well then go find some people out in the street who were never invited in the first place to come. And what he was literally telling the people who were, who was listening to him in that moment was, look, all of y'all were invited to the feast, and y'all making up all these reasons why you're not going to come to the feast. So I want you to know you're going to find that you're not invited anymore, and I'm going to go get some people that want to be here. Wow. Now, it was a hard teaching, y'all, because to a, to a Jew in that day, we were the chosen. We're already in just because we're chosen. That's what, that's what their thought process was. He had just talked about the cost of discipleship. He just talked about being soft but having no taste how that was, means salt is worthless. And then he was about to tell them about being faithful what you have and, 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 and hits him with zingers like, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. But right in the middle of this aggressive and hard teaching, Jesus reminds him of who his dad is. He wanted them to know the law, but to remember the law in its proper context, and that's a relationship with his dad. So what I want to do in the remaining time we have is just to share a few takeaways from this prodigal story. The first one is simply this. A repentant heart is always greeted with open arms. A repentant heart is always greeted with open arms. Luke 15, 17 is the most important passage of this entire uh, section. It's the most important. It simply says this, but when he came to himself... You see, the deal-making and the incorrect view of the Father and Himself, we can deal with all that stuff later. But nothing can be remedied until you come to your senses. I can tell you all day long and twice on Sunday what you should be doing. But until you are ready, it ain't going to happen. 
How many of y'all got that gym membership and ain't been to the gym in three years? You know what I'm saying? Like, you keep paying them people their money, but you keep looking at that little tag. I'm not talking from experience. My little tag's hanging right there on the little thing. I see it every time I walk out the door. It's like, hey, you want to go to the gym? I'm like, hey, there's some candy over here, right? You know, like, I'm just, I, 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 until, I, until I really embrace it, yeah. that little tag is just going to sit there. The tag ain't going to get off the, the key holder and start whooping me to the gym. Somebody from the gym ain't going to come pick me up and take me on a workout. That's not how it works. So don't think that, that God is just going to come in and fix all of your sin if you're not willing to be fixed. You've got to come to your senses. Psalm 15, 7, uh, 51, 17, a broken heart and a contrite spirit. God, you will not despise. I'm convinced that there's nothing God won't do when our hearts are repentant. He will. He will shake heaven and earth. Remember, repentance is not, I'm sorry. It's, I'm sorry, and I'm not going to do that again. No. It's easy to say that. It's easy when you just sin, because see, sin is just missing the mark. Sin is like, I'm trying to shoot the target, I just mess up. The arrow, God, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that again. But what about your iniquity? Because see, iniquity is, I know it's wrong, and I'm going to go do it anyway. <laughs> like, in a handbasket, like, I'm just going to go do this thing. What about that? What about, what about an, a habitual sin that you can't seem to shake? How many deals you made with God? How many, how many months have you gotten to before you failed again? And then you have to start over. So how can you truly repent when it comes to something like that? Now, one of the things we do is we say something like accountability. So, uh, but here's the thing with accountability. It, it's flawed. Here's why. Hey, Tony, ask me how I'm doing. I'm great, man. Life is, I'm telling you, relationship with God, whoo, sweet times in the mornings with Jesus. If I'm already sinning, what's one more lie? What's one more lie? Just add it to the list, Jesus. But, but what if, if I were struggling, for instance, with something I look at on the internet or something like that, what if, what if I gave somebody full access to my life when it comes to that? What if I decided to download an app that would help monitor what I look at on the internet? What if I made a covenant with my spouse that I would never have my phone by myself? Now, how do you, how do, you do that if you're driving? We'll work out the details. But when you're in your house, if that's an issue, don't go to the bathroom by yourself with a phone. But my phone is my alarm. Alarms cost five bucks at Walmart. I mean, it's like, it's simple. So here's my question. How willing are you, how, how far are you willing to go to get healing? The son had to swallow every ounce of pride in himself to go back to his dad. Are you willing to do that? I know I'm being hard with you right now. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you this much. God doesn't honor sorries, but he honors repentance. So if we're going to really get right with the Lord, it's going to take repentance. You cannot expect open arms with an unrepentant heart. You can beat on the door of heaven all you want to. But, but until your heart's repentant, what can God do? Second one is this. Your father is waiting for your return. You may think God doesn't want anything to do with you after what you've done, but you're wrong. You're wrong. 
Luke 15, 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Well, what's the big deal with that? Well, it's simple. He was, he was looking for his boy to come home. And the Bible doesn't say how it went, but I'm convinced that it wasn't just a, he walked outside one day on the front porch and had his coffee and went, Junior, is that you? Like, I don't think that's what happened. Hey, y'all, Junior coming back. Spent all my money. Yeah, yeah, it's because y'all think that could actually happen, right? Like, that's, I've heard that before, you know. Um, here's actually what I think was happening. I think, I think every single morning he went to the front, he leaned on the rail. He just scanned the horizon. Just looked. Oh, son, come home. I know you think you're going to be mad at me, but just come home. I miss you more than I'm mad at you. Why can't we see God doing that with us? Why is it so hard? Why can't we just believe what he thinks about us? Why do we assign to God these secular versions of what fatherhood should be? Everything the son thought would happen didn't happen. He expected abandonment but received honor and celebration instead. Don't let what you think God is going to say or do keep you from coming back to him. You just might be dead wrong. This is the last one. Your identity never changes in the Father's eyes. There's something I saw a while back in the text that's so powerful I had a good cry about it when I first noticed it. That's because I'm a wuss and I cry about everything. But you know what? I, it's like the emotions have to get out. I can't bottle them up, you know? Maybe just once a year I just need to have like a, ah, you know, watch a Hallmark movie and then it'll be over with for the whole year. I'll wait till Christmas time because those are the best Hallmark movies, right? No, they're all terrible, y'all. What are y'all doing? Y'all need to be reading the Bible. Y'all need to be talking about Jesus coming as an eight-pound, seven-ounce baby. No, I'm kidding. Luke 15, 24, here's what it says. For this my son was dead. Did you see it? My son. Not this mess of a human. Not that loser. Not that mistake. Not, not that constant problem. Not that troublemaker. Not that thief. Not that loser. Not that trash. Not that damaged goods. Not that waste of air. Not that sinner. Not even my new servant. My son. We know him as the prodigal, but the father only ever knew him as the son. Even he saw himself as a prodigal. Let me ask you this. How would your view of the father changed, change if you knew your identity as a son or daughter never changed in his eyes? If you've said yes to Jesus and you made him Lord of your life, I want you to know you're a son, you're a daughter. And the odds are you're going to sin after you make a decision for Jesus. It's, it's not a ticket to perfection. It's not how it works. We still live in a fallen world. And we still have an enemy constantly fighting us. Non-stop. But what if 
even in the midst of your sin, God's view of you never changed. He still saw you as the son or daughter that you are. And I think this is really what it's all about. You know, we can do a series on identity and we, we, can, we can talk about how we see ourselves, but can we commit today just to like abandon these ideas of who God is based on what we think he's going to do in regards to our sin? Can we instead embrace what Jesus told me his dad's like? I mean, Jesus knows Paul pretty good, you know what I'm saying, y'all? And so why don't we believe him? Why don't we believe that? You know, I've often wondered about the months and the years following the prodigal coming home and, and how the end of that story went. And, and I wondered, you know, did the father ask about all the stuff, the time away from home? Like, what'd you do, boy? You know, like, where, where's, where's my money? You know, like, did he ask questions like this? Did the, did the prodigal sit and cry asking for months on end for forgiveness? Have you done that before? I've done that this week multiple times. God, please forgive me. And, and it's like sometimes I wonder if they're sitting on the front porch just looking at the horizon. The dad remembering that moment where he finally saw the head pop over the horizon. And he knew his boy was home. Well, maybe they were looking at the spot where that first interaction happened. And he saw the moment. The son saw the very spot where he received grace from his dad. Imagine that. And then imagine the son sitting and telling the story and crying and crying and begging for forgiveness. And, you know, maybe you think the father just going to go and say, well, boy, I told you not to leave in the first place. But, but just maybe, maybe the father just put his hand on his back and said, buddy, I've already forgotten that. This relationship is not about what you did. It's about what we're doing. How would that change how you interact with your father? Did the prodigal son finally see that there's nothing better than being in his father's house? You know, I'm sure the prodigal had some work to do, and there may have been some punishment. Maybe they didn't let him play with the finance as much. I don't know. I don't know all the details. But here's one thing I can, I can read into the text, and while it's not necessarily in the text, I can assume is, is this, that the son was no longer known as the prodigal. So where are you in this story? Where are you? How do you see God in light of your failures and your mistakes and your iniquity? Is God a father that you can return to? Or is he just a judge that's wanting to judge you? Luke 15, 20 says, The father saw him and felt compassion, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. It was the compassion in the father's heart that spurred him to run, embrace, and kiss the son. If God uses this illustration to reveal his character as a father through his forgiveness and reception of his rebellious, sinful, squandering son, why wouldn't he do the same with you? So what, what, what would he do if you decided to come and give him everything right now? Psalm 103 talks a lot about it, and I'm not going to read everything, but here's some things. He, he forgives your iniquity. Yeah, but I didn't tell him what I've done yet. It's forgiven. But, but I, I need to tell him my deal. It's forgiven. He heals your disease. He redeems you. He crowns you and satisfies you. He's merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and doesn't stay mad long. He doesn't interact with us based on our sin. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquity. He shows compassion. And his love is steadfast. 
look, man, I don't know what you came in with today. I don't know what baggage you have. I don't know what sins you committed. I don't know how much blood is on your hands. I don't know how filthy you are. I don't know if you smell like a pig or not. I don't know if you, I don't know what it is. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what level of guilt you have right now. I don't know how many times you've heard a message like this and you keep telling yourself, I'm going to respond, but you never do. And then you feel bad for not responding because you know you needed to respond. I don't know where you are in all of this, but can today at least be one thing? Can today at least be the day you just come home? Can it just be the day you come home? He's not going to kill you. In your sin, you're already dead. Why don't you come to life? Why don't you come wake up and get out of the sin cycle, the sin loop, and start a relationship with God that's going to change everything? Would you bow your heads for just a moment? The only reason I ask you to do this is so that you can just focus on God and not the people around you. You know, I wrote out a, I wrote out a prayer here, and I just... I don't want you to say it out loud, but do let air come out of your mouth. Let it be something you voice to the Lord right now. If, if you know you're in this moment right now and you need to come home, maybe it's for the first time. Maybe you just need to, you've, you've been prodigal your whole, you don't know anything else but being a prodigal. And it's time to come home to a father. I want you to take this opportunity right now. But if you need to come home from running, from, from going your own way, doing your own thing, I want you to just say this prayer. Father, forgive me as I've sinned. And this is what I've done. Now take a moment right now and tell him. Tell him what you know. He already knows, but just tell him. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, God. I ask you to forgive me. Father, I repent. No deals. No trades. No, if you'll do this, then I'll do that. Father, I just need you. I just need to come home. Father, I'm coming home. Now, before you open your eyes, I just want you to take one more moment and imagine you walking up that dusty road back to your dad's house. Imagine the, the, the pain and the brokenness you feel. Even the shame and the sin, the, the embarrassment, the hurt, the brokenness. Imagine rehearsing what you're going to say to your dad when you get to him. Don't look now, but your dad's running to you. And it's not because he's wanting to pounce on you. It's because he wants to forgive you. Will you just take a moment today and receive that forgiveness? It's not about what you've done. It's about what y'all can do going forward. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you, Father, for your love. Right now, we receive your forgiveness. We embrace who you are. Not as, not as the, the judge, the creator, the ruler, but, but Father. We embrace you as a Father right now. We praise you. We love you. We receive you. Jesus, your Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and His people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. 
If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.